Everyone knows the feeling when you lose something, right? Like that, that just angst that builds up over time, and you're like, what is going to happen? Am I going to find this thing? I, I remember a month ago, I had this real bad, all right? I, uh, I'm part of this church leader cohort, and I do some traveling with it, and I was in uh, Denver, Colorado a month ago. And uh, that's the Sunday that I was uh, missing uh, and gone, by the way, uh, if you were wondering. And so I was there, and we were learning about philosophy of ministry, and, and it's been really helpful, honestly, for us at Catalyst. And then we were at a church service, and I was taking pictures with my phone and looking around, just trying to learn from a different church of how do they do things and how do things flow. And so I knew my phone was with me. And then I sat down at the, uh, in, the, in the chair for the service, and then it's time for the passage of Scripture. And so I uh, brought out my, uh, my phone. It's time for the sermon, and my phone's not there. I'm like, where did it go? And, and so I start feeling around my pockets. I'm like, is it in my pocket? No, it's not. Okay, am I sitting on it? No. Is it in my pockets? I don't know. Is it on the floor? I don't know. Is it in my pockets? I start just freaking out. I'm going to be honest. Because... First of all, a phone is way too expensive. Can we just talk about this? All right, it's just way too expensive for a phone. That's number one. But number two, it's, it's one thing for you maybe to lose a phone at, at Catalyst, right? Or in your dorm room or at your house or at work because you're like, I'm going to go back there, right? But I was in Denver, Colorado, all right? I'm like, if I leave this building, my phone's gone, all right? So I have to find this thing. I'll be honest. The rest of the sermon, not really so much sure what they had to say. But I was looking everywhere for my phone, okay? And I'm looking around, and I'm next to guys in the cohort with me. They're great dudes, all right? Many of these guys honestly might even come as guest preachers one day to preach here. They're they're church planters, leaders, great men, love these dudes. But in that instance, they became my enemies because I'm like, you stole my phone, didn't you? You hit it, right? I went to the bathroom, and it was gone. What did you do? And and so, like, I'm just doing, I'm going all these directions, and I'm, like, freaking out. I'm just building up. Where is this thing? I've lost it. I'm looking everywhere. And then finally, I see it, and it's just sitting on the ground, leaning against my chair, just, just taunting me, really. And, but eventually, I found it, right? And you know that feeling, right? All this built up of, where is it at? Where is it at? Maybe it's your phone, maybe it's some book, maybe it's some article of clothing, whatever it is. And then when you finally find it, it's just, oh, right? You know that feeling. It's great when you finally find something that you've lost. And, you know, maybe it's your phone or, 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 or maybe, again, it is something else, but all of us have experienced that. Maybe you even have a family member, like I do, that, that seemingly loses everything all the time, right? Maybe it's your keys or your wallet or your purse or your phone. You're just, you just literally constantly are losing things. I don't know how you're not constantly freaking out. Maybe that is your secret. Maybe you're like the Hulk and you're constantly freaking out. But... The reality is we lose stuff all the time. I mean, that, that's just part of what it means to be human. At some point, you've lost something. And the reality that the Bible paints for us is that it's not just that we lose phones and things, but that, that we ourselves are lost too. That's what the Bible paints for us, that we are dead in our sins, right? That we are separated from God, and then it's not just those things, but that we are lost. That that's a way to describe ourselves, that we can't find our way home. And in today's passage in Luke chapter 15, we're going to be looking at two different uh, parts of it, one part today and one part uh, next week, that we're going to see that the Jesus, that he does pursue after the loss. But as we've been looking through the book of Luke, going through kind of a highlight reel to see that Jesus's way is the opposite. It's the reverse. It's the upside down of what religion is. We'll see our big idea that religion avoids sinners. 
But Jesus pursues after the lost. And so that's good news, right? That Jesus pursues the lost. But the reality that we've been seeing in this series is that you and I, that we fall to this religious heart. That our temptation is to fall back to that religious heart that just wants to avoid sinners. And what we'll see is that that happens actively and passively. But friends, there is good news. And it's that Jesus pursues after the lost. And he sends us on mission to do that with him. So let's pray and we'll jump in to Luke 15 together. Father, I, uh, I thank you this morning that we can open your word. And as we're going to come to two really famous parables, I pray that you would, through your spirit, give us eyes to see, ears to hear in these parables that we've already seen and heard. That we would be able to see it with fresh eyes and that your spirit would apply it to our hearts. That we would see Jesus clearly. And that through that, that your spirit would move. As he's pursuing after us. That the lost would be found. That we, the believers who are perhaps drifting back towards religiosity, that we would repent. Father, I, I pray for Pastor Dayton Hartman at Redeemer Church in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina. Father, the, the church that commissioned me out a few months ago as I served there for, for many years. Father, today as they are kicking off a new service, three services now as they are growing, Father, I pray that they would pursue after the lost. That the lost that are coming today, many guests, Father, I pray that they would be able to pursue after them and that they would see salvations today. Father, I pray that you would do a miracle there in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina today and in Newport News, Virginia, right here, right now. We thank you, Jesus, that you pursue after the lost. And through your spirit, would you do that now? And would you use me? Amen. So Luke 15 is three different parables. And the the third one is the one we're going to cover next week. It's arguably the most uh, famous, perhaps uh, the most famous in the entire Bible of the prodigal son. But we'll we'll get there next week. Come back then and we'll get to that one. But first, we're going to see these first two parables. And Jesus, he tells these parables because of something that happens at the beginning of Luke 15 in verses 1 and 2. Jesus is around a crowd and then some religious leaders they get upset with him. Why? Well, check it out. Verse 1 and 2 of Luke 15. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. They were all drawing near to who? To to Jesus. Now, we, we saw earlier in our series who these tax collectors are, who these sinners are, right? The tax collectors are traitors of the the Jewish people. They were Jews themselves, and they had now sold their souls, so to speak, to the Roman government. They were not just like the IRS and taking taxes, but no, they were skimming off the talk. They were taking extra money from their own people. So these were people you would avoid, that you didn't like, that you wanted to isolate yourselves from and separate yourselves from. They were lying, they were cheaters, they were traitors. But then as well, these people are drawing near to Jesus, but also sinners, it says. Now, the Bible tells us that everyone is a sinner. That he says that no one is righteous. No, not one. That's what the book of Romans says. That we are all separated from God. But here when it talks about sinners, when, when religious leaders talk about sinners, they're not just talking about everybody. No, they're talking about people who are overtly known as sinners. That they are very clear. That even the people who don't even necessarily believe that everyone's a sinner, they'd be like... Yeah, that's, that person's a sinner, right? I mean, these are prostitutes, these are, these are drug dealers, these are people that are just bad dudes that are in prison and clearly deserve to be there, right? That's this kind of person. These tax collectors and these sinners are doing what? It says they are drawing near 
to hear Jesus. They want to hear the good news of the gospel. And in this, what we'll see in Jesus' parables is it's not just that they are drawing near to Jesus. No, it's that Jesus is also drawing near to them. You'll see why in verse 2. It says, And the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders, they grumbled. They were annoyed. They were angry. At what? At Jesus. They said, This man. And time out. Notice they're talking about Jesus. Right? It's not the good and gracious king we were just singing about and singing to. It, it, it's not the king of kings, the Lord of lords. It's not even Jesus. It's just this man. Here, when we see these religious leaders speak in the book of Luke, you get to see a picture into their heart. And first and foremost, that a religious heart doesn't see and worship Jesus for who, they, for who he is. They just worship him or see him as just this man. It's just this guy. Perhaps he's a good teacher. Perhaps he's even someone that can heal someone. Perhaps he's someone that can get them something. But he's just this man. Not the king of kings. Not the Lord of lords. The one who is bringing his kingdom to earth as we saw last week. And so what do they say about this man? Well, they're grumbling at him because he receives sinners and eats with them. We've seen in this book already that Jesus is constantly doing ministry where? At the table. That he's inviting people over, that people are inviting him over, that they are spending time together at a meal. It's constantly. He's going to a meal, eating a meal, or coming from. That this is one of the primary places that he and where we do ministry is around the table. Just getting to know one another, learning about each other. But here, these religious leaders, they're angry because they believe that he's receiving them and eating with them. You see, religious leaders of the day, they, when we fall to religiosity, we believe that, you know what, if we're even around someone that's a sinner, that, that then we too will become sinful, that we need to isolate, we need to separate, we need to avoid them. And that's what a religious heart falls to. But Jesus is not accepting them and approving them of their sinful life. No, he's calling them to repent. We'll see it very clearly in the parables today. But the religious leaders, they can't have it. Like they, they can't believe that Jesus would be around those people. And, and we all can fall to this too. Our hearts can fall to that type of person. And we all have that person or this person. Maybe it's someone of a different skin tone. Maybe it's someone that's older or younger than you. Uh, maybe it's someone that, you know, it's political season that, you know, I, I can't believe that someone that's a Democrat could be a Christian, that someone that's a Republican could be a Christian. Can you believe that they have that sign in their yard? Ah, they probably don't know Jesus. Or, you know what, I can't believe that they watch this thing or will listen to that. Or, Friends, when we fall to these, uh, these lies from religion, then we fall exactly to what they do in their trap, that they just avoid sinners. Now, you might say, well, Daniel, I'm not actively avoiding sinners in those ways. Well, friends, a religious heart can creep up in more passive ways, more subtle ways, too. That it, it, it might say that, no, no, I, I know that I'm a sinner and they're a sinner. I, I need Jesus. They need Jesus. But are you avoiding them? I mean, maybe you have a neighbor that isn't a believer. Are you actively pursuing after them? Or are you just saying, you know what, I'm, I'm, kind, of, I'm kind of busy today. I, I probably won't. I need to, like, stay in my car until they leave and then then i can walk into my house right or maybe it's your doormate and you like you hear them moving around you're like oh, let me just stay a little longer okay they're gone now let me leave like it's easy for us to avoid people 
Or maybe, maybe you're like, no, I don't do that. I'm not. <laughs> but are you avoiding the conversation about Jesus? Because, friends, this is so easy. This is so easy for me to fall to. This is something that I had to repent of this week that it's just easy to fall into the lie of religion and of our busy world to not pursue after the lost, but just to avoid them. And, friends, when that happens, that's just a religious heart creeping up, saying that. I'm not lost. They, they, they're not lost. It's not that we are on the same playing field without Christ. No, I've been saved and I need to avoid this person. I need to make sure that my life is good to go. But friends, Jesus, He responds to these lies of religion that it's so easy for our hearts to fall to. And He shares a parable. He shares a parable to these religious leaders and to our hearts as well. Verse 3, it says, So He told them this parable. He's In fact, He's going to tell them two parables. Three, in fact, but we'll look at two of them today. And these parables are super famous. There's the parable of the lost sheep, right? The, the leaving the 99 to go get the one. The, the lost coin, you got 10 coins and you, you, you lose one and you go search for the one. You've probably heard this parable before. But I want you to, just as we saw a few weeks ago in the parable of the Good Samaritan, to come at this with fresh eyes. To ask questions of it. To look at the text as if you've never seen it before. That's what we were praying earlier. And to see what did Jesus mean for this audience? And how does that apply to us? That's what good Bible study does, and that's what we want to do together. So what does Jesus say in light of the religious heart avoiding sinners? Well, verse 4. We're going to jump back and forth between these two parables. Verse 4. He says, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. You see, Jesus, he is talking to a crowd. And this crowd at this time is made up of everybody. And a lot of the people at that time were shepherds. Or if you weren't a shepherd, maybe you employed a shepherd and you had sheep yourself. Or you just had a buddy that was a shepherd. Like, this is a very common thing that people would have sheep. And so he's going to tell a story about that. And a common, uh, this uh, hundred uh, these hundred sheep in this flock, this is a really common number that you would have in a flock. He's just telling a story that they would understand. But he says, if he has lost one of them, does he not lead the 99 in the open country? You see, at that time, when at the end of the day, a good shepherd would lead his sheep back and they would be in the open country. And he would go count them, making sure that one of them wasn't lost. Because if you know anything about sheep, I don't know if you've ever been around sheep, like outside of like a fair or something, but sheep, are really dumb, all right? Like, they're really easy to get lost. Like, they will find themselves like, oh, look at that, there's some grass over there. And they will go, and they will literally eat the grass, and then, oh, there's some more, and then fall off a cliff to their death. Like, you can quite literally scare a sheep to death, all right? Now, I wouldn't advise that. That would be kind of a jerk move. But, like, that's how pitiful sheep are, all right? They really don't have much to offer, and they're, they're just kind of lame, sad animals, okay? They can't help themselves. And so a good shepherd, at the end of the day, what's he going to do? He's going to count them. He's got to make sure that they're all there. So you can imagine, right? He's like, okay, I got 100, so I got 95, 96, 97, 8, 99. Oh, hmm. let me kind of get 95, 96. Oh, no, I'm missing one, right? Oh, gosh. So what does he do? Does he say, well... You know what? 99 out of 100, that ain't bad, right? 
No, of course not. And that's Jesus' point. And he says, like, that's ridiculous. This is his sheep. He prizes his sheep. He values his sheep. It is worth more than he can ever describe. And so what does he do? He leaves the 99. Now, this is a parable, so don't press into it too much of like, well, did he leave them alone? Like, what's he doing? No, no. That's not the point of when Jesus tells parables, all right? He's giving you very specific details to lead you to a specific point. Most likely, if this is a real story of something happening, he would leave it with someone to take care of them. So let's imagine that's what happened. And then what does he do? It says that he does everything he can to find it until he does, right? He says he goes after the one that is lost until he finds it. He doesn't just look for a couple minutes like, hey, where are you at? Well, I guess they're gone, right? No, he pursues after it until he finds it. And similarly, similarly, Jesus is going to tell another parable. Jump to verse 8, and he says this. He's talking first to people who, who know about sheep and shepherds, but then he's going to jump to something just at home, something really practical even for you and me today. Verse 8, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, doesn't light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? You see, this coin, it's not just like a nickel, a dime, a quarter, right? It's not something just really small and like just not a big deal. This coin is something that you would get at the end of the day. It's not like a paycheck and, you know, after 14 days you get one paycheck. No, you'd get like 14 coins. These are one coin that represents one day of work. So imagine this is maybe $200, okay? So this woman, she has 10 coins. A little math here for you, sorry. But that's $2,000, right? So this woman has $2,000. Is she going to say, you know what, I lost one. Ah, well, it's okay. I still have $1,800. That's okay. I don't need that $200, right? And all the college students said, no, I'm going to go find that $200, right? I have no money. And so that's what this woman does, right? She goes, and of course, she searches after it. Of course, this is what anyone would do. So what does she do? She flips over the couch. She looks under the cushion. She does everything she can. She searches her pocket. She searches, was it in the fridge? Maybe I'd like put something in there. Like, and eventually, what does she do? Of course, she finds it. But how did she search? It says there, Jesus even describes it a little more specifically than he did with the sheep and the shepherd. And seek diligently until she finds it. It's not the idea that, that she's looking and she gets distracted. It's not the idea that she looks a little bit and then gives up and says, well, maybe it'll turn up. No, it's that she does everything she can until she finds it. It's that she has one focus, and it's to find her lost, valuable coin. That's the idea. Nothing else matters right now. I'm going to find this coin. I'm going to do anything until I do. I'm not going to sleep. I'm not going to eat. I'm not going to call someone. I'm just going to find this coin. That's all she can think about. And again, we all know this feeling, right? Where you've lost something that really did matter and nothing else mattered at that point. You had to find that coin. You had to find that thing. And so Jesus is telling this story, again, in light of something that has happened. What it just happened. The Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders of the day, they showed that religion avoids sinners. And they're calling him out because he is actually around sinners and tax collectors. Here, Jesus is showing us very clearly, again, what our big idea is. That he doesn't avoid sinner, but he pursues after the lost. That's who our king is. That's what he does, is he pursues after the lost. 
And why does he pursue after the lost? Why does he pursue after you and me? Because we are so valuable to him. Because he has great love for us, First John says. That's why Jesus pursues after us. And so I, I don't know what kind of week you had this week. Maybe you had a really hard week. Maybe honestly, this morning, if, if you were very real with us, you would say, this week I, I didn't even know, like, why am I here? Like, does anybody care about me? Because I just kind of feel worthless right now. I feel like I just can't do anything good. I feel like nobody cares about me. And friends, when we are struck with these feelings, we must just look to the cross where we see how Jesus ultimately pursued after the lost. That Jesus didn't just view us as lost and, well, maybe someday they'll come back. Maybe I'll find them eventually. No, He pursues after the lost. He diligently seeks after. So much so that Jesus, He didn't just hope that we would come to Him. No, no, that He came to us. Isn't that the gospel? Isn't that the good news of the incarnation of Jesus coming to earth? That's what we'll celebrate in the Christmas season here in just a few months. That Jesus came as a baby, as a boy, as a man, ultimately. Why? To save us. To live the life we can't. To die the death that we deserve on the cross. Because we can't save ourselves. Because Jesus, he's a master storyteller. He doesn't just give these examples just to say, well, Jesus pursues after the lost. He's trying to teach you and me something about ourselves. Because again, what can a sheep do to save itself? Nothing. A sheep can't do anything to save us. It's not like a dog that can maybe find its way home. No, no, a sheep can't help itself at all. And a coin, well, that's even clearer. I mean, it's an inanimate object. Like, if a coin drops and it actually falls completely down, it's not moving. Like, you have to go find it. Something has to push it or move it, or it will stay there forever. And Jesus is trying to kind of insult us a little bit and say, you know what? You're like that sheep. You're like that coin. You cannot save yourself. But the thing is, you're not just a sheep or a coin that I don't care about. I love you so much that I've died in your place. And I rose again, making it possible for you to be saved. Friends, Jesus, he pursues after the lost. And that's good news, because who is lost? Everyone. You. Me. Without Christ, before Christ, I was lost and Jesus found me. And for so many of you, that is your testimony as well. But notice how Jesus responds as he does, as he does seek after and he does find. Check it out. Let's go back to the story, back to the parable with the sheep and the shepherd in verse 5. It says, when he has found it, he's been searching, he's searching everywhere for it. When he's found it, what does he do? He lays it on his shoulders. He brings it home and he rejoices. He celebrates. He cheers. And he doesn't just want to do this individually. Verse 6, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have lost, excuse me, I have found my sheep that was lost. He says, just so, I tell you, there'll be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And he essentially repeats the same thing with the coin. Jump to verse 9. Remember, she's been searching diligently, and when she found her coin, 
she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What is Jesus telling us? That when he saves one person, when one person goes from lost to found, that he celebrates. And he doesn't just celebrate by himself. He throws a massive party. That that's who our Jesus is. And he says, hey, I'm from heaven, and let me tell you what happens there. Everything is a party when one person comes to know Jesus. Because I love them, and I value them. And they're not just some dumb sheep or just some coin that doesn't matter. No, I value them, and I love them, and they're worth more than anything. Friends, this is who our Jesus is. He pursues after us. He celebrates. He rejoices. And he does this with others. And so many of you have this wonderful story. And so the question, though, is if Jesus, if he pursues after us by going to the cross, then what is our response to that? But Jesus showed us that, didn't he? In verse 10, he tells us that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. That this is our response. That the gospel is the good news of Jesus in my place. And what is our response? To repent and believe. That's the gospel. Repent, excuse me, that's the gospel. Jesus in my place. And our response is repent and believe. Turn from our sin and trust in Jesus. And when that happens, we are found in him. And friends, we are saved by our Savior. But how did you actually come to know Jesus? Like the, it's, it's one thing that's absolutely true and fundamental that Jesus pursued after you ultimately by dying on the cross for you. But like, how does that play out in the day to day? How is it that Jesus is still pursuing after you? How is it that Jesus pursued after you for you to come to know him? Well, friends, it's because the good shepherd sent his shepherds to pursue after you. That's why. It's because the good shepherd sent his shepherds to pursue after you. You see, because Jesus, he's not just known as the king of kings, the Lord of lords. He's not just that guy, this man. No, in the book of John, how is he described? He's described as the good shepherd. But he's not just the good shepherd. He's also the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so why that matters for you and for me as we zoom out from these parables is that Jesus is not just the shepherd who calls to his sheep and seeks after them. No, he's the one who died in your place. He's the one who became that sheep, became that lamb that you were. So you would not just be saved, but be made like him. That you would be restored with Jesus. That you would not just be forgiven, but given his righteousness, given his identity, that now you join with him. That you, the pursued, are now those that are pursuing. That Jesus, who pursued after you, he now empowers you through his spirit to pursue after others. And, and, and I don't know who it was for you. Like, who was it that Jesus used to pursue after you? Maybe it was someone that gave you a Bible, and you read a different passage of Scripture, and he used people like Luke, who wrote this book. Uh, maybe it was a pastor. I remember there was a pastor when I was a kid. His name was Steve. He was kind of a, a youth, an associate pastor, and God used him in pretty big ways in my life. Uh, maybe it was a coworker, or maybe, maybe it was a parent. I know in my life, my family, I'm blessed that my immediate family are all believers. And, and God used my entire family. But I remember when I came to know Christ, 
Like the, the, the day, the moment that I repented and believed, it was because of my mom. Like that she who had been pursued and was lost but now found, that she was pursuing after me. I, I grew up in um, western North Carolina near the mountains. And uh, I remember when I was a kiddo, uh, and about five or so, I, I saw people that were getting, like, they had talked about getting baptized. And I was like, oh, that sounds good. I, I think I wanted to, like, go swimming in front of the church. So I told my parents, like, hey, I want to get baptized. So they, of course, asked questions like, well, why? What is the gospel? Who is Jesus? What, why do you need him? Things like that. And in a basic way, I could answer the question, so to speak. But my parents, I think, had the wisdom to realize that I really didn't understand the gospel personally. And so a few years later, when I was eight, about to turn nine, I remember we were driving through the Blue Ridge Parkway. It was my mom, my brother, and me. And I remember that my mom started asking me questions and sharing the gospel with me. And though I had heard the gospel, I mean, hundreds of times, and in a basic way, even years before, could repeat the gospel, it was as if the, it was the first time I had ever heard it. It, it was quite literally the experience much like the famous hymn. Right? I once was lost, but now I'm found. That I was blind, but now I see. It was as if, if I had just heard it, as if I had just seen Jesus. And why and how did Jesus pursue after me? It, he used my mom to share the gospel, to pursue after me as he was pursuing after me as well. And soon after, I repented and believed. Like, that's my story. And, and, and if you're in Christ, if you have been found, you have a story like that too. Maybe you can't nail down the date, but that Jesus was pursuing after you through different people, through different things. Friends, these, this is something we should celebrate. That you should rejoice over. That you should share with other people. And this is the greatest tool that you have to share the gospel and pursue after other people. A lot of times, we, we overcomplicate it. Well, okay, Jesus has called me to pursue after other people. But how do I do that? Just get to know them. Build a relationship with them. Eat a meal with them like Jesus does and just share your testimony of this is how Jesus pursued after me and this is what he did to die for me. Can you believe that he would save a sinner, someone that was lost like me and he can do that for you? Friends, that's the good news of Jesus is that he pursues after us and he doesn't just save us but that he, uh, he gives us his righteousness, his identity and now we join with him to pursue after the lost. And so if you're here and, and you're a college student, why did Jesus put that lost doormate or person in your classroom around you? It's so you can pursue after them, so you could be Jesus to them and for them. Why did Jesus give you your neighbor that doesn't know Jesus? So you can pursue after them, so you can tell them about him. How about your coworker or parents or grandparents? I mean, I, I'm struck with this daily. That Jesus didn't give Kristen and me James just so we can, you know, tomorrow take cute pictures of him dressed as Daniel Tiger, though we will, and though he will look cute. It's not just so we can help him learn to sing and learn to talk and one day he'll go to school and whatever and try to keep him out of trouble, right? Ultimately, those things are good and right, but the main reason, parents, grandparents, that God has given you, gifted you, as Scripture talks about, with a child, with a grandchild, is to be the primary disciple maker in that child's life. 
to point them to Jesus, to pursue after them for Jesus. And grandparents, I know that this has got to be hard. I'm not a grandparent, so I can't, I can't speak to this too much. But I know, like, with grandparents, it's so, it's so good and so right just to spoil your grandkids, right? Like to give them all the extra candy, all the extra meals. The parents say, no, they can't watch TV. Pfft, we're going to watch TV, right? Like, to, like, that's the role of a grandparent. It's good and right to love the kiddos. And, like, the main reason you're a grandparent is because Jesus wants as much of a team to be able to pursue after that child that we would be on mission for these children. And that we as a church would. That the kiddos that are in this room, even cooing now, that, that are back over there in the hallway with Catalyst Kids, that we would love them and pursue after them. And so if, if you're a parent here and, and you're not actively pursuing after your child, I want to encourage you, I want to beg you to repent of that and to pursue after them. Just as Jesus pursues after you. Here in a couple of weeks, we're going to have a class and then, and then soon after a, a service to be able to commission our parents that are covenant members here to be able to promise to them and them to promise to the congregation that we would do everything in our power to pursue after their children. Friends, this is how we pursue after the lost. Those that are around us, whether it's those in our home, whether it's those in our dorm, those that live with us or, or, or around us or those that work with us, that we pursue after the lost. Because Jesus is pursued after us. And notice that Jesus, this, this is not just some individual event, but what did he say at the end of the parables? That he goes and tells everyone around him. This is a communal event. This is something that we as a church do, which is why we do parent commissionings in front of the whole church, which is why in community groups, we don't just invite people individually, but that we have missional hangouts. We have rhythms built into our community groups that we pursue after the lost together. Friends, this is how we live life in community. We pursue after the lost as Jesus pursued after us. And so let's be a people that don't avoid sinners, but pursue after sinners. Pursue after the lost as Jesus pursued after us. And for some of you today, you have been running from Jesus. And Jesus has been pursuing after you. I, I, I don't know what it is of why you're running from Jesus. Maybe it's that you don't want to give up this lifestyle. You, you don't want to give up that, uh, that thing that you love. You don't want to give up that relationship. But friends, know that Jesus sees you and knows you and loves you and values you. And he is pursuing after you. Like the reason you're here today is not because some friend invited you. It's not because you wanted some food it's not because of any other reason, but because King Jesus wanted you here to pursue after you. And he is calling you through his spirit to repent and believe the gospel. After the service, or rather after the songs and during them, I'll be in the back. I'd love to talk with you. Tell you more about Christ. Tell you how he has saved me. More about that story. Whatever catalyst, let's not be a people that avoid sinners but because of Jesus and his pursuit of us and that he is with us, we can go out as people who pursue after the lost just as Christ has pursued after us. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you sent Jesus as you promised and that he pursued after us. 
that he pursued after me a sinful man and that he has saved me. And while my heart tends back towards religion, he hasn't given up on me. He doesn't just rescue me once, but he continues to bring me back and to keep me with him. Father, help us, the saints, to repent of religiosity where we avoid sinners. And rather, to join in on Jesus' mission to pursue after the lost. Father, for those that are here today that have been running from Christ, that are far from Him, that are lost spiritually, I pray that through Your Spirit who is drawing them, would they come to Jesus by repenting and believing. He is seeking diligently for them. Father, would You draw them to repentance today? Father, I pray for our city. For, for the campus, for, for the community right around here, right where we are, that we would be a people on mission for the lost around us. And that we wouldn't just look out, but we would look in. That in our homes, in the children, in the students that are here that don't know Christ, that we would pursue after them, knowing that you gave them to us to steward their lives, to point them to Christ who is pursuing after them. Father, would you save them? And would they be a new generation pursuing after the lost as Jesus pursues after us? In Jesus' name, amen.